specifically some of the ones that I'll be talking about are, I'm in the US, so uh, I'll be more knowledgeable about uh, the FCC. Uh, obviously that there's different regulatory uh, uh, agencies for different countries. Uh, and so therefore that they also kind of come into play. Uh, and then as far as IEEE, that's obviously that's where 802.11 is located. And there's some other ones that are in, in there. And as we talk through it, you'll, you'll be able to realize, oh, yeah, of course, that there's some other ones that we're going to be interested in. And then there's the IETF where there's a lot of standards that go on. That's kind of in the layer above. And then there's obviously there's the Wi-Fi alliances. How does the Wi-Fi alliance fit into all of this? So the place that I'd like to start is just the in the U.S., the, the FCC. And that kind of gives us a base of where everything is going to go from here. So the important thing on this slide is that you'll see that this is part of the government, uh, and they're going to set the rules. So therefore, before we're able to transmit, it's kind of very important to know, well, where can you transmit? Uh, how, what transmit power can you actually use? On this slide, you might have been seen some of our other webinars. You might have seen some of this uh, graphic. And so well, where does the FCC come into um, place as far as on this graphic? On the bottom where that there's the frequencies, uh, that's they kind of are telling us, okay, these are the frequencies that you're allowed to use. And when you're transmitting on here, what are the rules that are in place? For instance, uh, what's the transmit power that you're able to use? Is this unlicensed or licensed? You know, they'll dictate that. Uh, and then if you are using it, there might be other rules that are needed. For instance, uh, we might be able to say that, oh, you have to do some radar detection. Uh, that would be um, indicated by the FCC. Uh, now, as far as the, you know, where exactly do they, these rules come out, uh, kind of giving you uh, an indication. Uh, now, as far as the subchapters, those are kind of like places where to start, uh, but you kind of go there, you kind of, uh, if you were to Google search, you know, Title 47, Part 15.247, uh, that'll take you to an idea of uh, some of the rules for the why, why on earth would you do something like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're involved with standards uh, and you're trying to manufacture something, then you say, oh, I know that this is oh, how much it. I could actually transmit. Uh, and so that would be part of your design uh, that you could kind of come up with. All right. But you could also, uh, if you're designing something, you might be more interested in the Wi-Fi 802.11 standard. But those people that are actually creating the 802.11 standard, they have to kind of take this into account. Uh, rulemaking at the FCC. So I kind of mentioned this is a government agency. Uh, so, well, exactly how does this work? Uh, there's a bunch of acronyms in here. And so basically what ends up happening is that first part is that notice of inquiry. Uh, that gets sent out. This is kind of like, hey, this is kind of like an idea. This is what we're thinking about. Uh, and they'll get a bunch of comments back. And you could actually search for uh, these, uh, and I'll give you some links to some of them. I'm not going to give you the links to some of the comments that are um, entered in by different uh, companies and different people. Uh, but you could actually um, go through it and search it. Uh, and then after getting these comments in, they'll take a look at it and say, okay, well, this is the notice of the proposed rulemaking that we're going to make, uh, and they'll kind of list that out, and that'll get into more details. And then again, that they could kind of go off and uh, get a bunch of comments in and say, okay, well, somebody might be concerned about something. Obviously, if they're kind of changing some of the frequency allocations, there's going to be some people that are going to be affected. So, you know, obviously, they're going to put in some comments about what, uh, what their concerns are. 
uh, one that the FCC is all ready and they think that, okay, this is basically where we're all set, then they'll put out a report in order and say, okay, this is basically where we're going. This is the new rules that we're going to go with. Uh, so I thought I'd, what I'd do is I'd take a, um, a topic that um, you might find interesting. Uh, you might have heard about um, six gigahertz band and uh, what exactly is kind of going on there uh, that it's been termed uh, right now to be Wi-Fi 6E. So there's Wi-Fi 6, which is for like the 82.11AX, uh, and 6E is for extending that into the six uh, gigahertz band. If you wanted to search for the, um, the NOI, uh, that, that there's the link there and that you'll be able to kind of take that and actually read what does it actually say. Uh, and then the NPRM, which kind of like, uh, came out afterwards, uh, that after they received some comments, you know, what were they actually proposing? Uh, and that they'll kind of take you and I, I'll give you an idea of where things, when it actually gets to the rules in order, that when we actually get those rules out, that they should kind of look, look something like that NPRM. Uh, why is this kind of important? Why is the six gigahertz important? Well, you, you might have been uh, attending one of our previous uh, webinars on like channel utilization. And here, what I'm trying to show here is that um, if you're looking at, if you're doing something like AC and you said, hey, we were telling you don't run with 160 megahertz wide channels if you're in a carpeted office because you can't really create that many channels. Uh, well, if you were to extend this out and go be beyond going from you know, five gigahertz going up to six gigahertz. Now, all of a sudden, you do have a lot of channels that you could actually use for that 160 megahertz wide channels. And so having those additional channels makes it actually useful. So once we, now that we got our base set as far as uh, the FCC, it kind of takes us into the uh, IEEE, which is the Institute for Electrical and Electronics Engineer. So I'm a member of uh, IEEE SA which is where the standards get uh, developed. Uh, and so what's their purpose? Uh, basically to go off and create standards. Uh, what is that process? Uh, there's a lot more detail in this. There's the link at the uh, bottom where I got this. And uh, if Bruce Kramer's on the line, thanks, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce was a uh, previous chair of 82.11, and he was kind of he would usually give this at the beginning of some of the meetings, kind of describing how things get get done. Uh, and there's documents that kind of get associated with all of this stuff. For instance, you might hear me say something about a, a 82.11 has like a, a PAR. I, that's basically an IEEE term. And the PAR stands for the um, um, project authorization request. And once you get it approved, that's where you can start doing work on a draft within a working group. Once you get that draft developed, you kind of go to sponsor belt where you're opening that up to a much larger group. Uh, once you get that approved, then you can kind of go to the standards board and you have to kind of do some final approvals. Uh, and then you go off and you uh, publish the standard. Uh, at the top, you might be looking at and say maximum of four years. Well, now, wait a second. It takes you longer than four years to get done. So how does that work? Uh, while it, there is a maximum of four years, you've got to go back and say, hey, I need more time. You can go back and say, okay, I, you get that uh, PAR form uh, extended. So IEEE itself has standards for a large number of um, uh, things. And 802.802 .802 is where it's the land man. So it's the networking area uh, of standards. 
Uh, and that's got a lot of different areas where you're kind of going to be interested. And some of them I kind of say, well, I've mentioned here because you're going to be interested in them. And some I just kind of mentioned as, oh, by the way, uh, for instance, 802.1, uh, that I'll kind of give some examples of that and why you're interested in. Obviously, 802.3, that's Ethernet. Of course, even though we're wireless, we're still interested in that Ethernet wire. And then obviously, 802.11 will be where I'll kind of spend a little bit more time. Uh, I just mentioned 802.15 as a... Um, uh, as an um, informational purposes, this is where the Bluetooth and Zigbee is kind of coming from. Uh, and then dot 16, uh, WiMAX used to be in the news a lot. Uh, I did attend some of the meetings there as well. Uh, and that's actually entered into hibernation. Uh, no more uh, new work is kind of going on. And then radio regulatory technical advisor group. I didn't actually kind of get into it too much here, but as any uh, type of um, kind of going to the FCC and trying to do some, kind of put some comments in. That would, you'd kind of filter through and go in 802.11 would discuss it with 802.18. Uh, the reason for that is because as I mentioned, there's other wireless groups and they might have some other uh, concerns as well. Uh, so my big point here is when I'm talking about 802.1 uh, is that an access point is defined by more than just 802.11. And if you think about it, um, you know, that, that all of a sudden becomes obvious as to why that is. Uh, that as far as bridging, bridging actually gets defined in the 802.1D. You know, and what, what do I mean by that? Well, when an access point gets a packet in on Ethernet, well, where does it actually send it? Uh, does it send out all over wireless and vice versa when it gets something in on wireless? That's, that's all covered by uh, 802.1D. Uh, the reason I mentioned 802.1H is because it might not be apparent to you that, uh, well, when you get something on Ethernet, then what's it look like when it goes out over uh, 802.11? There has to be some mapping that kind of gets done, and that's described. Uh, 802.1H kind of brings it up, and then also it's uh, mentioned in the Annex uh, M of 802.11. 1Q, people are talking about SSIDs and VLANs, and then as far as .1P, that's for QoS uh, markings uh, that will line up with 802.11e for QoS. And then the one that I'm very familiar with is 802.1x because when I was chairing 802.11i, uh, I was obviously uh, discussing a lot of items with them as well because I was coordinating that 802.1x usage in 802.11i. Uh, Ethernet, I'm not going to get into too much other than I say obviously access points uh, have Ethernet on them commonly. Uh, and that you're obviously interested in power over Ethernet. So those power over Ethernet, if you're looking for where does that actually get standard, that's actually standardized in 802.3. So sometimes you might you might look at the specifications and it might say something like 802.3AF. Well, that's kind of giving you an indication of where that, that, that standard is developed. Uh, trivia note, um, it, uh, as I mentioned, I was with uh, Aeronet, which was acquired by Cisco. And one of the early access points that was added to that level wasn't actually Ethernet. It was actually token ring. Uh, so it's just a trivia point. Uh, so getting on to 82.11. Um, and here I'm just trying to give you a, a sense of on the FIs, the radio side of things. Well, where were things started and how did they progress over time? Uh, the initial standard actually had three FIs. Uh, by that, there's the direct sequence. This is kind of like the initial 802.11 um, uh, 2.4 radios. Uh, and then it kind of got improved with 802.11b, where we're, kinda, we're able to kind of go up to 11 megabits per second on the radio. The other uh, types were a frequency hopping, 
uh, and then infrared. I don't know of anybody that actually made an infrared uh, and frequency hopping. Uh, I don't know of anybody that's actually made a uh, frequency hopping. And I think that's actually out of the standard now. But then it rapidly kind of moved over to OFDM. That's where we kind of came up with 8211A and G. And then through 8211N and AC, it's been OFDM. Uh, likewise, OFDM remains within AX. And, and then also kind of things are moving over to OFDMA uh, with uh, 8211AX. Uh, then uh, some of the improvements there, you can kind of see it's always kind of we want to go faster and faster and faster. Uh, 11AX doesn't want to, is obviously wants to go faster, but it also wants to improve the efficiency. Some of the other uh, radio types that are kind of that you might have heard about. Uh, AD was uh, Y gig, so that's kind of going going into the 60 gigahertz. Uh, television white spaces, that's 80 to 11AF. And then my favorite, since I I started this group, which was the 80 to 11AH. And the graphic on the right kind of gives you an idea. Why do you want to kind of go off and do some of those types of things? Y gig is like it's the distance is pretty uh, short, but it does give you the capabilities for for some very high data rates. Uh, and 11AH, the point there for Internet of Things was the data rate was low, but it goes much farther. So that was uh, sort of the improvement there. And then getting into uh, Mac amendments. So just a quick note is that when you're working on the radio side of things, when I'm talking about the FI, the, the, the group that you're usually going to be wanting to coordinate and making sure that things line up is with the regulatory bodies, for instance, the FCC making sure that, okay, we're planning on defining some radio, does this fit within the, the requirements of the law and the rules? Uh, when it comes into some of the MAC amendments, most of those have to do with operational type of things. Here, uh, as you might've uh, remembered that's with um, five gigahertz that there's, um, basically there were some bands that we could kind of operate and then some we said, well, you could operate here, but you have to look out for, um, if there's radar on, on the channel. And if there is radar, you have to get off. And so that had the, um, made us 8 to 11 say, well, what, how are we gonna actually handle that? Uh, for instance, if you're on the channel, you wanna tell the clients, hey, this is the, the channel that I'm gonna go to. And that's what the purpose of 8 to 11 AH was, is to kind of give that signaling to tell, and also for the transmit power control uh, that kind of came in through 8 to 11 AH. Most of the other Mac enhancements, they have to do with some, as I kind of mentioned here, kind of giving some examples, uh, that you kind of want to do some type of um, coordination with some other standards bodies, but they're probably, it might not be the FCC per se, but some other groups. And why would you need to do that? Um, well, the reason why is, for instance, if you're doing a phone call, uh, then the 8211E was to try to prioritize that. Now, that prioritization is really on the airwaves. Uh, and you want that uh, to actually be from, you know, end to end. For instance, I'm on the phone, one person, you know, if it's on the wire, I need that to be um, prioritized as well. Likewise, it's, if it's something like uh, some of the security enhancements. Well, if you're doing something beyond just like a pre-shared key, if you're doing like a um, enterprise type of security, you're probably discussing going on and doing some type of interface with the radio server. And that kind of goes beyond just the 8 to 11 space. Some of the other Mac uh, in, amendments, I just kind of mentioned them here, uh, like mesh networking, that's kind of like coming up. There's a lot of products that are kind of like coming out now. There's some proprietary ones, and then there's some standard-based one. If you're interested in the standards-based one, there's 8211S. Uh, 
Uh, and then there's obviously some things for making that your uh, the connection a lot more stable. For instance, uh, how busy are the airwaves? That the, that's one of the things that we kind of got into the, the channel utilization. Uh, to measure how busy the airwaves are, broadcast that so that clients can make more intelligent decisions. Uh, it goes beyond that as well. And there's a lot of things that in there to try to make that connection uh, better. One of the issues that uh, uh, Intel 11 also has is as far as broadcast traffic and streaming some broadcast traffic out, uh, that would not be as reliable. And there's some reasons for that. And that, that was recognized. And uh, so 8211AA was put in place to address some of those concerns. So the message here is, is that uh, 8211, besides trying to go faster, there's other things that you know, uh, need to be do, done to improve the system, the overall wireless experience. So I kind of mentioned, oh, the IETF. And so you might say, well, what some of you might say, oh, I know what the IETF is. And if you don't know what it is, it's the uh, Internet Engineering Task Force. This is kind of like starting to make our puzzle a lot more Looking complete. good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, filling it up. Uh, I'll have to mention it to my wife. I actually have puzzle night every so often. <laughs> I don't know if she'll want to do this puzzle, but... We got to combine uh, puzzles, opera, and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and um, orchestra, right? That, uh, well, world? when we go out to the uh, summertime and see the orchestra, we could take a puzzle along. Yeah, good, <laughs> I guess, yeah. The uh, mission statement of the IETF, uh, make the internet work better. <laughs> now, the IETF standardization process. So I've been at the uh, uh, 80.1 meetings and 80.11 meetings. Uh, IETF meetings, uh, I think it's just a general standpoint is that if um, they do operate a little bit differently, they're all for the same type of things, but they do operate uh, processes that are a little bit different. Uh, if you if you attend the IETF a lot, you're probably not going to like going to IEEE. Likewise, if you go to IEEE meetings a lot you, you, and you go to IETF, you, it, just because of it being different that you end up saying, well, this is, uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, can, you might not be as comfortable going to one versus another. And that just has to do with some of the, like, IEEE is a little bit more formal as far as who could vote, uh, who could comment on things. Uh, and then if you're used to going to things like 3GPP, you're, you're like, well, you, both of your groups are kind of dumb. <laughs> we like our process better. <laughs> so what gets done in the IETF? Uh, so I'm hopefully, that everybody knows what TCP IP is. And so I just thought I'd mention that the RFCs that define uh, TCP IP. And it's like, oh, that's where it's that standardized. So actually, if you just Google search RFC 791, it'll pop up and you'll say, oh, this is what IP is. Uh, now, why do I actually mention two? Uh, that's when things get um, uh, updated, that's you'll see it on, on the RFC that says, uh, uh, updated or obsoleted by blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of mentioned also like the last one. So then I mentioned, oh, that 802.11i for enhanced security, which was the one that I kind of, uh, as the task group chair, that we were interested in uh, some other things besides some IETF RFCs. Uh, for instance, you probably have heard about EEP, and I talked about 82.1x. Uh, likewise, the type of authentication that you're done, that gets, there's a number of options that you can go with, but uh, EPTLS is, a, is a, 
the well-known one. And then you probably also heard about radius. All those types of things are defined in RFCs. Uh, in the graphic, you might scratch your head and say, well, what exactly does that graphic mean? Uh, I'm familiar, if your users are familiar with using Wireshark to do um, look at packet captures, uh, if you're looking at uh, packet capture over the air, then what do you actually see? If you know, first level is eight to 11, and then you dig inside of that, and it's like, oh, that's a dot one X packet. And then you dig within that, then you can see that's EAP. And if you dig within that further, then you'll see it's TLS. What does the access point do? Uh, it actually talk, you know, is communicating with a radius server. That's sort of the point of that, that is that, and why, trying to give you a quick idea of why that's uh, within this, you'd be interested in some of these other RFCs uh, instead of just 8211. I'm not going to. I'm not trying to be thorough as kind of come up with the list, but uh, just giving you an idea of some of them that you might also be interested in if you're involved with the wireless side. Uh, if you heard about CapWeb, yeah, there is an RFC there for CapWeb, uh, and then likewise, uh, if you were uh, involved with the uh, 82.11 AF experience with TV white spaces, uh, TV white spaces, what the access point has to do is say, well, with I'm in this given location. For this location, what can I where can I operate? Which is different than like the DFS stuff. DFS is like the access point has to go off and detect if there's radar. Here, what ends up happening is the access point um, goes to a database and then says, I'm at this location, what channels can I use? Makes it a little bit easier. Uh, why is that relevant here uh, as well? Uh, it's just kind of like an interesting note as you start to take a look at the um, six gigahertz. Uh, that you'll hear some things about oh, being able to talk to uh, a database. So it's that same type of thing as instead of trying to do uh, detect a different system out there, we'll just say well, where you're located. And that's, um, for instance, in the six gigahertz uh, band that the users, uh, those uh, the licensed users, that there's a database that's set up of those users. So it's kind of easy to then look up in that location. Okay, this is what channels that have to be avoided. Now that's typically for in that area, outdoor usage. So we talked about the FCC, we talked about um, 802 and 82.11, and then IETF, and that kind of takes us to the Wi-Fi Alliance. So if there's all those things kind of going on, why do you need the Wi-Fi Alliance? Well, the thing here is it brings everything together. Um, that's It's not just going off and, there's, as you kind of saw, that there were a number of different uh, standards that are going on. And also, not just that, but you, that you'll see that there's a lot of options. So what the Wi-Fi Alliance does is that it kind of goes off and it's, um, it does a lot of collaboration between the members. And, and then also is um, promoting interoperability. So you go for compliance testing, you've got your product and say, well, does it actually work with other products? To do that, you'd obviously have to make sure you kind of like say, well, okay, this is what we're gonna actually test for and the relevant standards that are uh, involved. And it's also going to embrace technology and driving innovation uh, and promoting that uh, adoption. And then here we're kind of getting into this advocating for fair worldwide spectrum rules. Uh, and then uh, kind of, uh, so here, if you would actually look for some of the comments that were put in for, uh, for instance, on six, six gigahertz, what you'll see is that, oh, hey, there's actually some comments that came in from Wi-Fi Alliance. So the Wi-Fi Alliance puts in comments, uh, different companies can, you, can, you know, as a person, you can just enter in comments. Uh, and uh, so there's, there's kind of interesting to kind of look to see the comments of different uh, companies that put in.
What are the different certifications that kind of go on? Uh, for instance, obviously, the AX is a big thing. So that uh, you want to see that it's like Wi-Fi certified six, which is kind of where the AX is coming from. Uh, there's a lot of different certifications. I won't kind of go through them all. Uh, we were talking about 802.11i, and the latest uh, is WPA3. Uh, 802.11i, when it came out, well, led to the WPA and WPA2. And it's good to see that, you know, things have moved on. It's definitely needed to move on to WPA3. Uh, likewise, Miracast, if you're trying to stream some of your, like you've got a phone and you want to uh, stream that off to a big screen. Uh, and then Easy Mesh, there's a number of products out there now that you can kind of uh, come and put in Wi-Fi throughout the home and just have it all wireless. So kind of giving you a quick idea of all the different uh, standards and hopefully that gives you some insight into why there's a lot of different standards and why that it's kind of uh, kind of good to kind of uh, have them all work together and hopefully put the puzzle all together and make it a little bit clearer for you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Very thorough. Um, so we'll we'll take questions at this point. Um, hope you guys enjoyed uh, the presentation. Um, I always get these questions. I do see some of them coming through right now. Can we get a copy of the slides? Can we get a copy of the recording? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we always share those, so we will continue to do that. All you need to do is email me. This is Don. Um, you, you've all received emails from me. Simply reply to one of those. It'll come to me, and I'll, I'll get you to the right place. Um, let me uh, start sifting through these questions here. <clears throat> uh, first one is, how does the Wi-Fi Alliance decide which parts of 802.11 and 802.11 amendment get included into their certification? A good question. Uh, that's it's basically by the members uh, getting together, and there is a, a process that they will go through to say, okay, what what parts of the spec are we going to actually um, certify? As I mentioned, there are a lot of times a lot of different options. Uh, some of them get very technical as far as like beam forming. You know, Eleven N came out. There are like a number of different options as far as aggregation, packet aggregation. That and they'll kind of go off and say, okay, these are the exact things that we'll actually test for, and they'll build up test cases. And that has to do with the uh, the Wi-Fi Alliance members uh, that actually attend and uh, will vote on. All right, very uh, very well. How about uh, if if someone's looking for more information on this topic, where would they go to find um, some stuff? I I know we've got a wide audience on here. Uh, whether they're going after certifications and whatnot, you know, can you uh, recommend any other resources besides the links in your presentation? Yeah, I think it, I was kind of going the same place you were. It's kind of a very large topic, uh, so it really kind of depends on where exactly you're trying to go. Uh, as far as like if you're interested in the IETF, well, then it's kind of easy at the IETF uh, website. It's kind of sure. an easy place to go to. Uh, and um, there, likewise, a lot of their discussions get done on mailing lists. Uh, so therefore, you're able to kind of follow how things are going just by uh, you know, joining a mailing list. Uh, IEEE, uh, that the voting that uh, gets done at uh, 8 to 11 does go by uh, attendance. Uh, so obviously, if you're interested in that standards development, uh, you, what you want to do is show up to a meeting. Yeah. Uh, that the there is a registration fee, uh, but once you get beyond that, uh, then it's usually it's the biggest thing is just the if you're going to show up, it is more of an in-person type of thing versus the IETF, which is uh, typically a, a lot of done, things done on the mailing lists. 
uh, Wi-Fi Alliance, likewise, that uh, to attend uh, to kind of show up to a Wi-Fi Alliance, that then you do have to kind of become a member. Uh, so there's different levels of membership. For instance, uh, if you wanted to just say, well, I want to um, be able to get access to some of the ma uh, marketing materials or uh, some of the specs, there, there's a, I believe there's a membership uh, for that versus, oh, I actually want to show up to some of the meetings. Uh, and then there's likewise another kind of a super category would be like the sponsor member. Uh, so. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I got a general question here about uh, who we're partnered with, um, and I can take that in a lot of different directions. So, um, Paul, if you want to expand on that question, make sure I answer it directly. Um, but uh, I, I would like to give a, a, a plug for our partner, CWNP. So I mentioned the certifications. Um, uh, we've been a, a partner with CWNP officially for almost two years now. Uh, all of these webinars that you folks attend are CWNP certified, uh, so you can get a credit for from CWNP, uh, continuing education credit from them uh, for attending here. All you need to do is uh, shoot me an email and I can send you over a certificate for that, uh, again, for continuing education credits. Uh, really a great partnership. Um, we're looking forward to their event coming up. I think we're sending two folks over to that WLPC event. Oh, excuse me. They're now, they're Wi-Fi track. So that's not till uh, later in the year, but uh, we always send folks to that event. Um, now you didn't send well. me over to the Prague when they had a meeting. Yeah, Prague, we couldn't get you to, buddy. I'm sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> now if they set up a meeting in Hungary, let me know. Right. Uh, so um, the partner side again, uh, to expand on that a little bit, uh, we do have... Um, uh, physical equipment partners, uh, Zebra and Spectralink and uh, Honeywell, to name a few. Um, so we, we do plug and play with those devices. Uh, we don't have official partners with access points. Um, that's a little bit different for us. Um, you know, we, we do like to be independent. Uh, and since we're not installed on the access point like we are on the devices, uh, we do like to remain independent there. So we're not officially partnered with a Cisco or, a, or Aruba or Extreme or anyone else. Um, though we do, uh, we certainly do uh, monitor those access points, all of them actually. So hopefully that answers your question. If you have uh, something more specific around partners, I'd be happy to answer that. Uh, we've probably got time for one, maybe two questions here left. Um, uh, here's the next one. What are the requirements being considered for Wi-Fi 6E, such as EIRP? Oh, EI yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Uh, uh, what you're going to find is that those are, um, for the entire band, that will be a, a more complicated question uh, in that we'll have to wait for the rules in order to kind of actually kind of come out. But where we, if you look at the NPRM, that they actually do call that out. Uh, so if you are indoor, uh, then uh, that's, I believe it's at uh, 14 dBm uh, and that, you know, that would be able to operate uh, across. Uh, so if you're indoor, that's fine. There are some rules as far as um, six gigahertz that's uh, not to, you can't, like, I think when I looked at the uh, NPRM, there were things like, uh, you can't use this in a, um, a car. Uh, like for instance, you, you get some of the uh, automobiles coming out that they have uh, eight to 11, that would not be allowed to be used there. As far as my reading of it, uh, you'd not be able to use it. Uh, so it's basically 
something that's moving along in a train. That would be that was the other thing that they called out. And you'd not be able to use it for communication with airplanes that they actually call out. That I think I think they actually called out that uh, for instance some low, uh, planes have Wi-Fi in them for like local coverage. And so I, my reading of it would be that no, that you would not be able to go there. The reason why is because uh, that there, there are some of these uh, outdoor systems that are already there and so you don't want to interfere with them uh and then that the, the database would then call out and if you did say i want to use it in a fixed location then that's where you'd have to go uh, contact a database i forget the exact term that they actually use but it's basically a database that you say hey can i go off and um uh use uh the the bandwidth uh the channel uh, in this location. And there, there that you could kind of like use the higher power uh, provided that you're in a location that there isn't a licensed user. Yet.